Hello and welcome to a very special episode of IMI's Talking Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, David Larkin. This week, our focus turns to the future as we dive into the key qualities and competencies to be an effective leader in a business landscape that has undergone its fair share of changes in the last 12 months. I'm joined by Jacob Morgan, a four-time best-selling author, speaker, and futurist, and the founder of the Future of Work University. Jacob's worked with clients such as Microsoft, Disney, and Pepsi. Jacob was recently welcomed by the IMI community with his masterclass on the future leader, nine leadership skills and mindsets for the future of work. Jacob, you are very welcome to the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast. How are things with you? Things are going well. Thanks for having me. That's great to have you. Um, much appreciated for the time today. Um, so there's a lot to get into, but I suppose, you know, you can't have a conversation these days without mentioning the pandemic. So let's get that out of the way quickly. Um, so the pandemic, has, it's completely altered the, the foundations of our working lives. Um, and having spoken to over 140 CEOs of the world's biggest companies, um, you're going to have a really interesting insight. I know you spoke to many of uh, the CEOs prior to the pandemic, or maybe just when it was kind of, um, I suppose, happening or getting started. But I suppose I just wanted to get your opinion on, did you notice any kind of shift in tone uh, with those in those conversations with CEOs in terms of a view towards being more future ready? Or did you think that the thought processes were a bit kind of stagnant when you spoke to them? No, I mean, the, the biggest shift that a lot of um, leaders keep pointing to is that originally the book and the questions that I was asking all these CEOs was aimed at the future. I mean, it's called the future leader. The timeline was looking at the next uh, 10 years or so. And what we've really seen is that the timeline has now shrunk. In other words, the future leader is now the present leader. So a lot of the things that I talk about in the book are not uh, things that we need to be focusing on in the future, but things that we need now uh, as a result of COVID, as a result of things like Black Lives Matter, all the stuff that has happened in in 2020 um, and surrounding that time period has really forced us to rethink work and leadership so much so that the skills and mindsets that I talk about in the book are, are essential for us to, to really um, make a priority immediately. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And um, yeah, I suppose that this kind of idea, as you say, of the priority being kind of now and the, you know, the future is now we can't wait anymore. Um, we see obviously in businesses all over the world, remote working is, has become a thing that's normal now. And that's, destined to stay in some form or fashion, it seems. So what do you see as kind of the biggest challenges for businesses and extending from that business leaders um, when it comes to kind of planning ahead and um, and building a culture uh, that involves sort of a virtual leadership style? Remote work is definitely, in fact, I was actually going to write an article um, called something along the lines of it's official, the nine to five workday is dead. But in that article, I also wanted to, well, <laughs> kind of future, <laughs> an unwritten <laughs> article yet. Uh, but in that article, one of the points that I want to make is that having a virtual workforce is not the same thing as offices going away. So what I think we're going to start to see more of is not just a virtual workforce, but a more flexible workforce. I think that is the bigger trend. Um I mean, part of this does mean that we will have more remote employees, but it does not mean that offices are going to go away. It does not mean that some employees are, are you know, not going to be going to the organ into an office ever, uh, that offices are just going to vanish, that companies are just going to sell all of them and everyone's going to be working from a coffee shop or from their, uh, from their homes for the rest of their lives. I don't think that's what that means either. 
I think what it does mean is that we will have more flexible work arrangements, meaning that we will acknowledge and understand that working every day, Monday through Friday, nine to five in an office no longer makes sense. What does make sense is having a mix that is more amenable to how an employee wants to work. So maybe you come into the office one day a week. Maybe you don't come in for, you know, one or two weeks and you show up for a team meeting. Maybe you don't work nine to five. You work the hours that are more conducive to how you want to work. So that I think is the bigger shift that we're going to see as opposed to just saying, hey, employees are going to be virtual from now on. Because that kind of implies that we're never going to see each other ever again. We're never going to go into an office. We're not going to do team training. We're not going to do any of that stuff. And that I just don't believe to be the case. I think there is still something to be said for in-person interaction, for teams coming together. Lots of the people, lots of the business leaders that I've even talked to, I mean, they're, they're excited to get back to work. They're excited to, to see their teams. Uh, and even for organizations that have and that have had prior to the pandemic, a large virtual workforce, even these organizations, those virtual employees still do uh, a couple times a year get together for team training programs, for offsites, they still have that in-person interaction. So whether you're virtual, whether you're in an office, um, I don't think offices are gonna disappear. And I think there is still a lot of value to the in-person interaction. So what does this mean for a leader? Well, as a leader, this means that you need to be very adaptable to your leadership style. Mm -hmm. If you were the type of leader who could only motivate and engage people when you are standing in front of them in an all hands where there's, you know, 2000 people in an auditorium, and that was where you got your energy from, then you're going to have a challenge because you now need to be just as motivating and engaging and inspiring while you're staring into a little red dot in a camera. So we need to definitely think, um, and, and train leaders to lead in a virtual and remote world. And some of it is like really basic stuff. I mean, I've been on several um, meetings, uh, just kind of observing uh, how some of the leaders are, are leading their teams. And oftentimes these leaders in person are amazing. I, I mean, these are some very well-recognized leaders. And then they try to be as motivating behind a screen and, you know, they don't have a good quality microphone. So you can't really hear what they're saying. Uh, there's like a big light behind them. So they're sort of a silhouette. You can't even see their face. So some of it is just very basic stuff, like invest in the technology that you need so that people can see you and hear you. Otherwise it doesn't matter how great you are as a motivator. It's not going to work. So there's just a lot of really basic stuff that we're now starting to think about. I need a good camera. I need a good microphone. I, you know, I have to practice not being able to see the, the faces of, of people sometimes and, you know, looking at a camera versus looking at a computer screen, like it's just little stuff that we don't think about. And so I do think we need to invest in leadership training for remote teams because it's not quite the same as having everybody together. I know that was a very long winded answer to your question, but hopefully, uh, hopefully it answered it. Yeah, it absolutely did. Very, very comprehensive. And I suppose just um, picking up on what you just said there in terms of getting the basics right with virtual leadership. And one of the things that we'll also have to confront going forward is how the businesses of tomorrow will be able to manage the, I suppose, priorities of their own workforces in terms of the work-life balance. So I suppose, how, how do you envisage that happening in terms of, you know, teams being increasingly decentralized, but at the same time, maybe coming into the office, as you say, from time to time. So how will leaders be able to kind of, um, I suppose, get their message uh, across while at the same time 
um, empowering their people to kind of maintain that work-life balance and uh, you know, in situations where, for example, you know, work and home are the same place, basically, as as we find at the moment. I'm one of those people who doesn't believe uh, that work-life balance exists. Um, to me, when I hear the phrase work-life balance, what that implies is that you have a set number of hours every day for work and a set number of hours every day for life. And work-life balance was this idea that you work nine to five only, and then you stop. And everything before 9 a.m. and after 5 o'clock is personal time. And then you have this very clear separation and distinction between work and life. And I no longer believe that that is the kind of a world that we live in. For me, I think we're seeing much more work-life integration, Mm -hmm. where your work is your life and your life is your work. These two things are merging together. Now, it doesn't mean that you should be working 18 hours a day, but it just means that these things have blurred together to the point where you might work for an hour and then take an hour off to take your kid to a soccer game or to, to go to the dentist. And then you might have some personal things to do. And then maybe you start work again at 11 or 12 o'clock. You work for a few hours, then you have, I don't know, lunch or, you know, it's, it's really about blending these things together instead of trying to uh, compartmentalize them into neat little buckets. So that notion of work-life balance, as far as here's my work bucket, here's my life bucket, I think is completely gone. So this, this blurring of these two is, it's good and it's bad. It's good in the sense that we have more flexibility as far as when we work, how we work. Um, you know, I think it keeps us more engaged and more productive. The challenging part is that it makes it harder to switch off. Because we assume that if we are connected, we always have to be available. You know, if, if I'm on Skype, if I'm on Microsoft Teams, you know, whatever, Slack, whatever platform your company is using, that if you are connected and you have Wi-Fi, that you need to check your email. You need to get an update from your teams on Slack to see what's going on. And what this means is that we as individuals and as leaders of organizations need to be more accountable to understand that connectivity does not imply availability. I have a, we have a friend who was telling me that um, and we, my wife and I talk about this phrase called wiggling the mouse. Hmm. And I was like, what, what the hell does wiggle the mouse mean? Hmm. And he said, well, you know, have you heard of this phrase? I have indeed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So he's, yes. Yeah, so you know, and I heard that I'm like, okay, so this very much epitomizes the problem where because you are connected, you assume that you have to always have that green availability indicator on. And if you, wiggle the mouse every 30 minutes or an hour, everybody else sees that you're available. And that is, I think, the fundamental problem. So this idea of work-life integration is only going to work is if we as individuals take more accountability and understand that being connected does not mean available. If we are able to do that, then I think this work-life integration concept is going to be very, very beneficial for everybody. But if you can't switch off it's going to cause a lot more stress and anxiety and burnout and I think eventual disengagement. So it's on the responsibility of leaders to let their people know that you shouldn't be working 24-7. It is okay to not be available. Uh, It is okay to not check your email at 10 o'clock. Have dinner with your family. Your family should be your number one priority. And at the same time, we don't expect you to work nine hours straight or eight hours straight. So that's a very, very interesting balance that we're starting to see. But again, I think this notion of traditional buckets 
of this is my family time. This is my work time. And they're, you know, going to be completely separate nine hours here. And then personal time. I, I don't think that exists at all. Uh, and we see this firsthand as a result of, of COVID. You know, how many of us are having meetings and we're on conference calls and our kids are in the background, or we see uh, lots of examples of executives now who are reading stories to the kids of their employees. I mean, it's complete blending. We're hosting meetings from our bedrooms, from our closets, from our kitchen tables. It's, I mean, this is not something that um, I think is ever going to go back to this traditional idea of nine to five. Yeah, I like that that point in terms of, you know, uh, work-life integration and how things are going, because it seems, you know, this is something that, as you mentioned, you know, your kids walking into the back of the frame when you're on a call with, you know, associates or whatever the case may be. There's, you know, there's this evolution going on that we're all sort of just navigating. Um, and I suppose um, just to kind of follow up on that, you've mentioned before um, using a metaphor of leaders being like lighthouses. And I think as we emerge from the pandemic um, I suppose the qualities of leaders are going to be kind of put even more under the microscope uh, in terms of guiding, you know, teams to success, kind of being a beacon for their organizations. So how important do you see that message, kind of that message of, you know, leaders being like lighthouses? Uh, how, how important is that message in today's um, landscape of work and, and as we emerge from the pandemic? Well, I think it's huge. Uh, for me, the idea of a lighthouse is is very, very important because what it means is that, and the reason why I like this metaphor of a lighthouse is what it implies is that you as a leader need to work on yourself, meaning that you need to become this lighthouse so that you can shine your, your light onto other people and onto the sea of uncertainty that we're all a part of. But it also means that as a lighthouse, you understand and acknowledge that if there are no ships in the water, then you're useless. So it's not just about working on yourself. It's also about guiding other people along for the journey. And I think that is a very, very important thing that leaders oftentimes forget. They assume that leadership is just about looking in a mirror. It's focusing on yourself. It's, you know, trying to get better on your own. But the reality is that leadership is very much about other people. It's how other people perceive you. It's how other people view your strengths and weaknesses and, and what you are, are capable of. So leadership is not just about looking into a mirror. It's about other people being able to look at you. It's about looking through a window and seeing others and letting other people see you. And this, I think, is something that a lot of leaders oftentimes forget. We lock ourselves up and we, we take our, our, our training programs ourselves and we think we're doing better. But the reality is that oftentimes those around us don't think we're doing better. And the research that I did in my book, Serving 14,000 Employees, found this very clearly where I asked leaders, mid and senior level leaders, how well are you practicing the skills and mindsets of the future leader? And these are you know, the, the skills and mindsets I talk about in my book. And by and large, leaders across the board said, we're doing a pretty good job. Not amazing, but we're doing a pretty good job. And then I asked the people who work for these leaders, how well are your leaders doing when it comes to practicing these skills and these mindsets? And the people who work for these leaders said our leaders are doing a terrible job. And the gap was around 30%. Okay, so this is a huge, huge gap. This isn't something small. And this to me is a very clear uh, problem. I mean, it's, it's very obvious what the problem is, is that leaders forget that perception is reality and that you might think you're working on yourself and you're practicing empathy and you are trying to balance humanity and technology and you're doing all these wonderful things. And if I were to ask you, hey, how's it going? You'd say, oh, I'm doing great. You know, I'm working so hard on myself. But if I ask those around you, 
That is ultimately the opinion that matters. That's the perspective that matters, not what you view of yourself, but how other people view you. And I think leaders really, really need to remember that that is the case. So for me, the lighthouse metaphor is very, very relevant because it's focusing on yourself and also making sure that you are uh, helping other people. Yeah, and actually um, the idea of perception versus reality is something very interesting and that kind of dovetails nicely into my next question, which is, um, I suppose we, we sometimes find it difficult to imagine a future version of ourselves and even of our own businesses. So um, in the conversations that, you, that you've had with business leaders, have you found that they've had a difficult time in terms of bridging the gap between the skill sets and mindsets of today and those that will be required, for example, 10 years from now? Yes and no, because the skills and mindsets are not things that we have never heard of. So the skills and mindsets that I talk about in the book are things like empathy and self-awareness. They are things like balancing humanity and technology in the workplace, curiosity, a growth mindset, um, coach, uh, coaching other people to be more successful than you. I mean, these are not concepts that are foreign to us. So it's not like I'm going to these leaders and saying, hey, I got this thing you've never heard of, but you have to do it. These are things that we've all heard of. I mean, they're, they're not novel new ideas. So by and large, people do understand them and they grasp them. The overall mentality for a lot of leaders is simply, oh, I don't, I don't need to do that right now. Like, I'm good. And the reason for that is because the way that a lot of people get promoted to leadership is because you stay at the company for a long time. You bring in the most amount of money. You're good at navigating office politics and bureaucracy. Maybe you have a friend at the company who's going to, you know, quote unquote, look after you and, and promote you. And so there's no need really for a lot of leaders to focus on these skills and mindsets because it's not what you need to be successful. Mm-hmm. And what these 140 CEOs I interviewed told me is that that is what is changing. In other words, to be a leader where you are responsible for other people inside of an organization, those things are not going to get you there anymore. It doesn't matter if you make a lot of money. It doesn't matter if you've been at the company for 40 years. It doesn't matter if you are amazing at office politics and bureaucracy. If you cannot practice these skills and mindsets, then you will not be put into a position where you are going to be responsible for the lives of others. And this is something that a lot of leaders, uh, top executives at organizations around the world are starting to make more and more clear, and it is becoming more and more apparent to them. Because we see these disengagement numbers uh, that are so low. We see, uh, you know, so many problems inside of organizations as far as employees being unhappy at work uh, and then even after work in life. And a lot of that stems from the fact that we are putting the wrong people into positions of power to lead and to guide others. And now, especially during COVID, we're seeing the need of having truly human leaders, people who actually care about the people who work there people who are invested in the success of others, people who are not just looking at dollars and cents, even the business roundtable, which is a collection here in the United States of, I think, 200 or so of the top companies in America. um, They put out a statement, I think it was last year or the year before, where they identified and they clearly said that um, shareholder value is no longer the number one priority of a business. Okay, so this is a very new thing for a lot of leaders, for them to say that we no longer just care about making money. We have to positively impact the lives of employees who work here, our communities, society, and the world at large. And that, I think, is a very, very clear wake-up call 
for a lot of leaders and organizations around the world. And the other thing is that we don't keep leaders accountable. You know, there are some organizations I talk to, for example, I talked to an organization yesterday, 13,000 employees, talked to the CEO there. And he says, every six months, we evaluate our leaders. And it's the employees who evaluate the leaders. And the leaders need to be improving every time on their scores and their metrics that their employees are using, Mm -hmm. unless they're already at 100%. If the leaders are not improving, then we try to train them and coach them. And if they cannot be trained and coached and they are not improving, they are no longer leaders. This is an organization that takes seriously and keeps their leaders very accountable to being better, to aligning themselves with the values and the skills and mindsets that are so crucial for leadership. And a lot of organizations, I I get emails and stories from employees all the time. You know, my leader is, is not really doing anything and the company doesn't do anything. My leader is taking credit for my work. He's, he's berating me in front of my coworkers. He's, he's, you know, he doesn't care about me as a human being. Okay, what is your company doing about that? Nothing. They don't care. They don't even ask. They don't know. And so we have a lot of these types of leaders inside of organizations. Uh, so we need to be more accountable as leaders. Our organizations need to be more accountable. And I think this is really what we're starting to see. So if you, whoever's listening to this, are invested in your future success, then it is essential for you to practice these skills and mindsets. Uh, It's going to be crucial for your career, for your teams, and for your organization as a whole. Yeah, absolutely necessary to to evolve, to improve, and to always be doing self-analysis, I suppose. Um, Jacob, just to finish up a couple of quickfire questions, if you'll indulge me with these. Um, We touched on earlier, um, just in terms of the typical working day and how that's completely changed. So, what would you like the typical working day to look like, say, in 10 years from now? Well, I want the typical workday to be what an employee wants it to be. I think that is part of the flexibility that I'm hoping we're going to see more of. I think everyone's workday should be different and should align with how they want to work. So, for example, my workday today is going to end Uh, probably at around 11 a.m. And then I'm going to do a chess lesson and then I'm going to kind of relax. Uh, But that is because yesterday my workday was very packed and I worked for probably 10, 11 or 12 hours yesterday. So that's my workday. It's it's based on uh, my workload. It's based on things that are going on, what I need to get done. And that I think is what it should be like for a lot of employees. You know, it should be based on your, your workload. It should be based on the relationship that you have with your leader and the, the expectations that you guys have of each other. It should be based on the tasks and projects and the timelines and deliverables that you have. I mean, it should be based on all these things. But I think everybody should have a, more of a say in what their workday looks like. And for a leader, a leader needs to be comfortable saying, look, I don't care when you work. I don't care where you work. There are certain guidelines that I want to have. For example, you know, let's, let's check in with each other once a day. Uh, let's overlap as far as the hours that we're online for maybe like two hours a day. But aside from that, if you're doing a great job and we're able to stay in communication, we're able to collaborate, you're using the technologies and tools and resources that you need to be using so that we can stay connected, your clients are happy. Those are the things that matter, not what your workday looks like and how many hours you're putting in. Uh, and, you know, wiggling the mouse that we're focusing on the wrong things. And I get it. 
right? Because that is how organizations were built. That's how companies were designed. But I think now because of technology, we no longer need to rely purely on those outdated ways of thinking about work. And COVID has been a very good example that business can still operate and run in a very um, flexible way. Yeah, it's uh, it's been an accelerant, I suppose. Uh, you know, so no more mouse wiggling going for it. Uh, and then finally, Jacob, just uh, my last question. Um, you've touched before on the idea of being a perpetual learner. Um, so do you feel that being a perpetual learner is now more important than ever? Oh, yeah. And for me, the concept of being a perpetual learner means you're you're learning how to learn, meaning you you have to take more accountability and responsibility for your personal and professional development. Uh, you can't assume that your company, that your school is going to teach you everything you need to know to be successful. So being a perpetual learner means that you basically learn how to learn. Uh, you know, keep an eye on, on what's going on in the world, your industry, how things are going to be shaping your career, the, the business that you're in. And there's no reason why you can't learn new things. I mean, we have so many resources available via things like YouTube, Khan Academy, Coursera, Udemy. You can really learn anything that you need to know to be successful. That is, if you are willing to take that accountability and control over your career and your life. If you just kind of sit pass, uh, um, passively and idly by, you know, sitting on your hands with the idea that, hey, you know, if I need to learn something new, somebody will teach me then I think you're going to be in trouble. But especially in this rapidly changing world, not only is it crucial for your career to be a perpetual learner, but it'll help you in your growth. Uh, you know, I can't tell you how many of the leaders I've interviewed and I've talked to, and they always tell me all the time, we're learning new things constantly. We make time for learning. We surround ourselves by people who are not like us. We're learning from customers, from our employees. Learning is crucial. And so that to me is what being a perpetual learner is all about. Yeah, a central pillar without a doubt. Mr. Jacob Morgan, thank you very much for your time today. Much appreciated. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we sign off today, I'd just like to thank Jacob again for his contribution and of course to you for listening. You can learn more about Jacob's work at thefutureorganization.com. Be sure to check in for another edition of the IMI Talking Leadership Podcast very soon. Thank you very much for listening.